Well, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to The Table. Uh, here at The Table, this podcast, we love to talk about interesting ideas and transformational truths and interesting people, just things that get us to think. And uh, right after our staff meeting this week, we're in the last couple days here of January. Uh, we found ourselves uh, around our table with a, just having a conversation about identity and the role of uh identity in the life of a believer and how powerful and revolutionary that is and so i just thought we'd just open it up and i've got uh seth jones with us here and claude acho as well and uh would yeah we'd just love to open up that conversation kind of doing this spontaneously but um we'll see where we get but yeah when you guys think your new life in christ and being a christian and the identity piece of that seth why don't we start with you uh yeah how do we get going in this conversation you know, I don't even know how that conversation started. Um, I think you were talking about your sermon from this past week. And then somebody really affirmed, yeah. like, your last 10 minutes specifically. Yeah. And it, then it's, you said you got some comments from people that just it really resonated with their soul. So yeah. So how did you, you wrap up your sermon? I think, well, I wrapped up the sermon, so my, my sermon was on anger and envy. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, spent the first portion just talking through what is anger, what is envy, uh, why is anger good? Why is anger bad? Pulled a lot of stuff from Tim Keller's sermon on anger. So if you're listening to this and you want some more information on that, that's that's the resource I would go to on that. Um, just Google Tim Keller anger in the first sermon that comes up is his uh, where I pull a lot of the content from. Um, <clears throat> but then, uh, man, just as I was prepping that, um, the the realization that whether you struggle with anger, envy, or any number of things, all that stuff can um, can really come under like significant renovation when you understand who you are in Christ. Mm. Um, <clears throat> that the key to all these things is not anger management, and it's not you know controlling your envy or trying to play. I just know a lot of the conversations I've had with people when they struggle with envy is they try to play these games with themselves, and they say, um, "Well, sure, he has this, but I bet this part of his life is a train wreck." Mm. You know, and so what we'll do is we'll do this thing. Well, it looks good on the surface, but I guarantee you under there it's bad, so I shouldn't envy him. Well, sure, that may work for a moment, but that's not a long-term solution. I, I call, and I'm capable of that at any given moment as well, I call that behavior management. I'm trying yeah. to manage my behavior. Yeah, and I think we do that with anger. We call it anger management. Yeah. And so what we do is we say, man, I'll be angry with you, but I'm not going to show it. Hmm. So instead of really releasing some of these some anger is really godly and needs to be said so rather than manage that you need to really steward it mm. and where anger is this you know it can be like where tim keller talks about this blow anger or the no anger uh, but rather having a slow anger mm. um, that that really is a holy way to live because that's how god describes himself yeah. he's yeah. slow to anger um, but Anytime you try to avoid a, a no anger or a blow anger, it's just going to be a struggle as long as you don't know who you are. Hmm. Um, that, and I've, I've realized this. I've sort of undergone like a significant spiritual renovation myself in the past few months. Just uh, I think a lot of people rely on their feelings mm -hmm. when it comes to how they interpret their standing before God. So like the, I always go back to the passage in John uh, 6, I want to say, where Jesus says, because of the words you have heard from me, you are clean, mm -hmm. right? That seems to be a, like, a statement about a condition that's ongoing. You are clean. Like that doesn't change. You know, you get into 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. That these things 
should identify who you are. The problem is we get into these ruts where it's like, I don't feel clean, you know, and we start getting into these like almost this self-loathing mentality. Well, your feelings don't matter. Your feelings have no impact on your standing before God. So rather than saying, I don't feel clean, that should drive us further into prayer, further into being in God's presence to reaffirm our identity. The problem is we take that I don't feel clean as I'm not ready to approach God yet. Hmm. And so we think we need to clean ourselves up. We need to, you know, do, I don't know, some moral actions Mm -hmm. so that then we feel like we have more of a right to approach him when our right is Jesus and the finished work of Jesus. There are no more sacrifices. It's done. <clears throat> so I think once we start to realize that, it really becomes, I mean, this is what Paul talks about through all of his, all of his writings. It's freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's being free in Christ. You're dead to sin and you're alive to Christ. Yeah. So I think the identity portion of that is we have to start seeing ourselves as the perfect righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like Jesus says, when you, when you talk about a good tree will bear good fruit, a bad tree will bear bad fruit. If you're constantly thinking of yourself as this measly, wretched sinner, then my bet is going to be that you're going to produce the fruit of a measly, wretched sinner. Mm-hmm. But if you understand yourself as the righteousness of Christ, the perfect uh, fulfillment, uh, like you are in Christ, and so therefore God sees you as in Christ and therefore perfect. If you understand your identity as that, then my bet would be you'd start to produce the fruit of righteousness. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to get there. Like this is mm-hmm. fundamental gospel, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like gospel 101, and we all know it, but I just feel like, man, most of us don't believe it. Yeah. Like we don't, it, it doesn't become who we are. Yeah. Well, it's part of why I wanted to capture this because, you know, one of the things we've adopted that we say, the, the gospel's in the ABCs, it's the A to Z. And so uh, one of our dreams as a church is to, and one of the purposes of corporate gathering is everything we do is to push people deeper into the gospel, the gospel deeper into them, to more fully understand the gospel, and then to constantly remind themselves of the gospel. Claude, is Seth is talking, what, what registers in your head? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's so critical. I think that Part of the challenge is our experience is one of brokenness and shortcoming and failure and frustration. And so we're, we're trying to uh, take uh, what we see and what we feel, which is marked by sin, and, and reconcile that with what God has declared uh, over us in Jesus. And that sort of discrepancy can really jar us. And so that, <laughs> and so that leads us to say, oh, I know these things in my head. But man, this, this isn't who I am. Like, look, like, look at my day, look at my week, um, look at my thoughts. You know, uh, I'm thinking things that I don't want to think, uh, all, all that sort of stuff. I'm, 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 I am trying to do this. Um, I am trying to live out who, uh, who I am in Jesus and what's true of me. And yet I, I'm, I'm not doing it very well. And so that sort of gap between what we know and what we are um, becomes this tension point. And I think that's where... Um, as you mentioned, JB, the corporate gathering is so important. Um, being in biblical community is so important uh, because I think with this understanding of our identity, you know, we're understanding these pieces of this is who we are in Christ, um, who we are positionally, like what we're declared to be, but we're not yet there in reality. And as we understand that, that gap between who we're declared to be and who we uh, and, and who we actually are um, is okay. Like we, we can be okay with that gap because we know that we're declared righteous and we know that we're a work in progress. And so I think um, 
those sort of pieces are really important. I think of um, Martin Luther said that we're, we're simultaneously uh, justified, so we're righteous in God's eyes, and we're also simultaneously sinful. And so like understanding those two things and understanding um, that we can be declared righteous in God's sight even as we still struggle with sin because that is dependent on the work of Jesus, not our own actual performance, uh, enables that sort of gap between experience and reality to not throw us over the cliff, you know, into despair. So I think there's just, I mean, this is, you mentioned, uh, JB, the A to Z, this is, this is everything. This is every day mm-hmm. of following Jesus. We never get past this. It's just hopefully we, we grow in our understanding and application. Yeah, and I'd agree with both of you. I think, I think if our preeminent posture are, are, is, I am a saint, like because of the finished work of Jesus who sometimes sins and will sin and continue to sin until Christ comes back, I, I'm go to be with him versus I'm a sinner who's striving to be a saint, you know, which implies I can reach reach yeah, some kind of morality, reach some kind of good place. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the very the very essence of the gospel. But there's a, uh, like I grew up my first 10 or 12 years, uh, man, the first person to disciple me, uh, Nate just pushed into my head the idea that God was sovereign over my salvation and that like my salvation was was God choosing to open my eyes and ears to see the beauty the beauty and sufficiency of Christ and so when it came to justification and being saved um, I had no problem recognizing God as sovereign and me responding to his initiation toward me so it was really all God and my me responding to him when it came to glorification which is heaven new heavens new earth like I don't know anybody on Zillow looking for locations in heaven like we're not we are all resting and trusting that Jesus is going to prepare a new heavens and a new earth for us um and so man it's all God not us and so for me I had justification I'm fine capital big G God saving me uh glorification I was fine with a um capital big G God preparing a place for me just that middle ground, that in-between time, I just I had it completely flipped that I have to now, in my sanctification, earn uh, any favor with God, continually re-earn favor with God. The more I would discipline myself, get up earlier, earlier, memorize more, the happier I could make God, as if God's happiness was still hanging in jeopardy toward me. I knew he kind of theologically had to love me, but I didn't think he liked me. And right. uh, dispositionally, yeah. I didn't think he liked me. And uh, man, that was really a second awakening. Maybe it was the first awakening uh, long when I re- realized the, the gospel for the first time. Uh, with the, it was the first year I was in Memphis, like 15 years ago. Somebody handed me a bootlegged copy of Tim Keller's Galatians study, and I really understood the difference between religion and Christianity and rules versus a relationship. And that, um, man, upon my salvation, I had not just been sealed with the Spirit and forgiven and secured a place in eternity and, and entered into abundant life. But, man, right. I had the infinite the infinite favor of God. And in a sense, I'd already begun eternal life. Like, I, uh, it starts. at the it's moment of my salvation, yeah. yeah. Well, let me, uh, let, me, let me ask a question then. Because um, I know, Claude, I understand what you're saying about we're simultaneously in Christ righteous, but also simultaneously sinful. So, like, my question to you would be, then how do we interpret Romans 6? How do we go, how do we look at a, a line that says, consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to righteousness if we're constantly just saying I'm still a sinner. Let me let me put it this way. So like <clears throat> I was talking to my wife the other night and I was like, I can drive a car. Right? So I can get in my car and I can drive to my office. I can drive back home. I can drive my kids to school. But I would never come to you and say, I'm Seth Jones, a driver. 
right? It's, I don't identify with that at all. Uh, I have the capacity to drive. I have the capacity to drive my car from point A to point B, but I would never use that as an identity marker in me. So like, shouldn't we in the same sense, like we shouldn't confuse the capacity to sin with being a sinner. Like, I don't, I don't know if we should necessarily say that we're sinners. I think to some extent, God doesn't see us that way because we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are holy and righteous before him. And so shouldn't that be the only identity marker that we take? Yeah, we have the capacity to sin, but I think that's the problem we run into where people don't feel like they can approach God because they feel like they're just measly sinners rather than just being like, no, I'm holy and blameless before him. Let me run to him. I think the way that this, this works out is like, man, if we are led into temptation, if we are led into sin, which we will do, I understand. I'm not saying we're not going to sin. Uh, but when we are led into those situations, that for me personally, my personal experience with this whole paradigm shift of not identifying as a sinner, but as the righteousness of Christ, righteousness of Christ and God, that man, when led into temptation, when led into sin, it drives me further into God because I get back and say, no, that's not who I am. God, I thank you that you're, you've made me a new creation, that the old is past, the new has come. Where there is light, there is no darkness. The Holy Spirit's in me. And so therefore I'm full of light. You know, all this, that's the outside trying to get back in. And it reaffirms my identity. Whereas a lot of times when people fall into sin and they fall into temptation, they're like, man, I can't go to God, <laughs> right? I can't go to God right now. That's the tension I'm wrestling with is like, I totally understand. Yeah, we're simultaneously righteous before God, but also simultaneously sinful. But how do we like how do we maintain that posture when I feel like Paul's saying, "No, consider yourselves dead to sin." You know, that seems like man, don't even think about it. Like just walk in the newness of life. You're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Well, what was the old? Well, it was the sinfulness in us, right? And so now with the new coming, that is the righteousness attributed to us through the finished work of Jesus. And so wouldn't, wouldn't it make more sense to like, just almost, I don't know, this is just, these are all fresh thoughts. This is the table, right? So this is where we hash stuff out. Uh, this is even like, like some fresh thoughts in my mind about what would it look like if people stopped thinking of themselves as sinners and started owning the fact that they are the righteousness of Christ, like in God? Would that have a dramatic effect on how they approach God, how they interact with God? And I think it would. I think it would tremendously because, I mean, even talking with some very close friends, you know, I feel to some extent everybody has this need to earn the right to God when that right was earned and finished by the work of Jesus. And so, man, this is why Paul says, go boldly to God. Like, what kind of bold, how do, you, how do you expect to go boldly? Well, it's understanding and saying, my faith is not in my feelings about how clean I am, but my faith is in what God says about me. And what God says about me is that I'm clean, right? Uh, I just wonder what effect that would have on the body. I don't know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Romans 6, dead to sin, I think, that's really key. Um, but I think Paul is talking about the power of sin over us, right? And so sin no longer has the power over us that, uh, that Jesus talks about in John 8 as, as uh, us being a slave to sin, yeah. uh, which is why Paul makes in Romans 6 that consider yourself dead to sin um, and you're no longer a slave to sin, you're now a slave to righteousness. So, yeah, so yeah. this sort of... Um, this sort of capacity and uh, reality that you can live live under now is not one of slavery to sin, um, but now one of slavery to righteousness. Yeah. Um, and then in seven, though, right, in Romans seven, people think, was he talking about post-conversion, pre-conversion? Um, sure. 
I think he's talking definitely talking post conversion, where he talks about the things that I want to do, I don't do, right, and the things that right. um, that are, you know that whole that whole sort of indwelling sin within right. us, right. And so I think Romans six is really talking about uh, the power. Sin's comprehensive power over us has been broken because we've been made new in Christ, right. and so we can uh, we can live in the new power of the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ, united to Him through faith. Yeah. Which is so, interesting because Romans seven, like even hearing you talk about that, it's almost like the immediate transition Paul makes out of his Romans seven statements is Romans eight one. Exactly. Therefore, exactly. There is now exactly. no condemnation exactly. for those who are in Christ. And if you think of the order, you think think of six. He says. Listen, um, well, five, he says we're justified. Um, four, he tells us, so So if we go four, he tells us uh, that God who speaks uh, things into existence out of nothing uh, has raised Jesus for our justification. Uh, five, he says we have peace with God uh, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because of justification. Uh, and then six, chapter six, he tells us uh, we're no longer slaves to sin since power has been broken over us. The old self, I think it's right. in verse four, um, the old man. It's uh, si- Since power has been broken, so we're no longer slaves to sin, we can be a slave to righteousness, which leads to eternal life. Uh, and then seven is this sort of crisis where like, oh, I am no longer a slave to sin, but I still sin. Right. What do I do with this? Right. And then that leads to the joy of Romans 8.1. Well, right. I still sin even though I'm in Christ, but there's no condemnation. Right. So I think, I think that whole framework is really helpful. I don't think, I think you're right. We need to think of ourselves as being in Christ more, but I don't think we need to stop saying that we're sinful sure. or like reduce the phrasing of that. I think we, I think we, I mean, depending on how you grew up in church, the idea of like the first thing you think of yourself may be as just a sinner and yeah. people that needs to be that needs to be changed that needs to be put in right weight and proportion um but for some people that's not a problem at all um it, to the same extent rather right. so i think i think there's sort of a kind of self-evaluation for each person uh both of those things are true um, we are we are made new, but we still mark, we still carry the scars of the old man. We still have sin uh, sin dwelling within us, as obviously as you know. So I think it's sort of a how do we balance these truths in a right way? Right. But I think it's I think you're right that the emphasis is that something radical has been done through the work of Jesus, and we have received that by faith, and that really does change everything. Right. It's like you and I were talking about the other day where there was almost an overemphasis placed on sin removal through the cross and not what comes after. Yeah. Right. So like, yes, the cross happened and it removes your sin, but we made that the end of the story. And instead it's almost like, man, removing the sin had to happen so that he could get his sons back. You know what I'm saying? So, well, and that's where, yeah, I would make the observation that, um, for a lot of people, a lot of people in, in some of the camps I'm in, their, their gospel starts in Genesis three instead of Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, I like the way you put that. And so when you start in Genesis 1 and 2, you were designed to have a perfect, shame-free, guilt-free relationship with God, with other people, with the animal kingdom, with the world. Like, it was beauty and order and perfection, and you get the Garden of Eden and heaven, you know. Yeah. Um, Where that will be restored. Um, And, man, so that's... That's what I'm created to be is the, you know, the chief of creation rightly related to my heavenly father and everything else. And then sin, you know, it comes and breaks and bruises everything. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that I, your comment about um, I would argue a, a lot of the depth. If you want to try to measure the depth at which I'm getting the gospel comes at that test when I do sin and I'm in sin and I'm convicted of sin, do I run towards God or do I right. run away from God? And um, 
And yeah, a maturing person in the gospel, the, his or her gospel reflex will be running to the Father. To him. And we all get that as parents and, you know, how quick we are to, uh, you know, hold and embrace and forgive and understand. And um, But yeah, I think uh, um, one different way I might come at this that I've shared before is I think maturing in the gospel, actually growing in your relationship with Jesus, maturing in holiness, you're actually seeing more and more and more of your sin. Like, and, um, and as you grow, you're actually more keenly aware. It, it, it's not your primary identity, but like you see more and more and more. Um, but you're also, and the one word we hadn't brought up is your, is repentance. Like you're right. quicker to repent. You know, you're not repenting, um, to earn favor back from God or your right. repentance doesn't affect your status with God, but you're, you're more and more of a repenter. You're more quick to repent. You're, you're more easily. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, so, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, you know, you think about we're in first or second Corinthians seven, you know, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, uh, Hey, I was actually hesitant to write you the first letter. And I was grieved that I did because I heard that you experienced grief so he was writing them, calling them out on a bunch of stuff. And he said, I almost hesitated because I didn't want you to be grieved. But then I wasn't, I didn't regret writing it because you had godly grief. Yeah. And then he says, what's godly grief? Godly grief leads you to further zeal and, yeah. and yes. ferventness yes. in the Lord. Yeah. It doesn't lead you to sorrow. Right. So he's like, man, I was hesitant because I didn't want you to go to the grief that the world has where you start kind of just going inward and then yeah. you just don't actually express any affection to yeah. God. But he said, look, no, you, you responded with godly grief, which yeah. led you into further zeal. Yeah. Uh, so even the act of repentance yeah. is meant to lead you into a, like a deeper zeal for the Lord. It's no not, doubt. Yeah. Because your cross keeps getting bigger. Yeah. Right. And the gospel get, keeps getting bigger. And, it, and there's no doubt we're, we're, it, the, the scales are tilted. We have a, I would argue, a pandemic. I won't yeah. speak globally, but I'll speak for America of guilt and shame. Oh, my gosh. Like, so yes. much so that even secular psychologists that don't profess Christ, have never opened a Bible, would say, man, shame is powerfully warping humanity. Yes. <laughs> um, and therefore, we ought to be louder about the gospel. But it was like Paul knew that, right? Because when you look at the construction of his 13 letters, almost every single one of them, ident- you know, first three chapters, identity, 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 <laughs> right. four, five, and six, parent this way, be a spouse this way, work this way, you know, and so it's just like, uh, he's going to build up your identity uh, before there's ever even, um, you know, but the, and those, both those things are true. Man, your identity is rock solid because of the finished work of Jesus, and there's potential for sin and areas of sin in yeah. your life that you need to constantly be confessing and repenting of. Yeah. yeah. No, I like the way you put that, and it's, I think the, the like we were saying, the pandemic, it's just we've got to get beyond the shame of our sin. Yes. And we've got to understand that that's been, that's been dealt with. Yes. Completely. Uh, regard, and I think a lot of it has if to If you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. Yes. So, yes, obviously there's – like sin's the open – sin's the entry door. Yeah. It's like, hey, you're sinful. You're made aware of that sin. Yeah. And then now you confess Jesus. Yeah. That sin's removed. But it, it, including all your sin to come, all of it was done. There was one sacrifice, right? But like – that is supposed to lead you into uh, this sort of shame-free life where you get to live in the freedom of the glory of God. Yeah. You know, J- Dallas Willard said it really well where he said, you know, uh, somebody asked him one time, they said, what would you say to somebody that, that said, told you Christianity is just about getting into heaven after you die? Well, he said, well, I would tell them that's exactly wrong. Christianity is about getting into heaven before you die because it's that second step of the cross, right? Sin's dealt with so that you get to then be in the presence of God yeah. because you've been washed clean. Yeah. And so now you get to be with God now because heaven is just the unadulterated presence of God. But you get that now. Yeah. You know, you can actually walk to in that degree. now. 
Right, not, not the full, not to the fullness that one day will be, but yeah, right. to a degree. But we we have brought back into communion with God. Yeah, we're back to Genesis one and two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's like, if man, the more we can identify ourselves not as sinners, but as the holiness of God that has the capacity to sin, yeah. I think our prayer life will get ignited. Yeah. Our there would just almost be this resurgence of people walking with the Lord because they understand what He did. Absolutely, there there is no greater motivator than than um, grace. Yes, and that's why if I was to go toe to toe with a hardcore fundamentalist legalist, who wanted everyone praying more, sharing their faith more, caring more about the nations, you know, attending church more, mm. uh, I would go, okay, I'll I'll see you head to head there, and I bet you I beat you with a message of grace to more yeah. people doing oh, yeah. that than I do to people trying to be motivated by shame and guilt. Yeah. Um, other thing I would say, just human to human, to allow you to be more human uh, and me more human, there's a massive theology of remember throughout all of Scripture. Yes. So going into this knowing we're prone to forget what Jesus has done for yeah. us, to <laughs> right. pr- forget what all God has done for us. I mean, y'all sang a new song the other day. It was you know, like, I've got more. There's more reasons for me to sing than be afraid. Yeah. Like now, I've forgotten them. But when I just stop and think of all the Lord has done in my life, there literally is more reason. If we're just rational, more yeah. reason for me to sing thanks and praise than it is for me to fear yeah. what's coming next. Um, but God's got grace for that too, and it's like He's He, he knew we were a bunch of scaredy cats, right? Like that's why He would say, "Fear not." Uh, there's right. a recent Gospel Coalition article I think about that and use that phrase like we're we're scared to death all the time, yeah. you know. So, but, He's our father. Yeah. That's yeah. what it comes down to, man. Yeah. He's our father. He's a loving father. But, yeah, I, I can feel our people, whenever there are songs that speak to affirmed identity, you can, you can feel it come in alive. the room. Yeah, absolutely. Just come, come alive. alive like that is true, and that's true of me. And, man, it's powerful. Yeah. All right, any closing thoughts? No, man. <laughs> Not really. Um, I mean, I think some of the verses that just come to mind, like Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives lives in me. Um, and I live by faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, I think it's just a great picture of this. Um, and even just the reality of, like, through what Jesus has done, we are positionally moved from being in Adam, slave to sin, um, under God's condemnation and just uh, and righteous good wrath, to being in Christ, where we're... We share in uh, Christ's inheritance. We share in all the benefits of a saving work, uh, and we can go boldly to our Heavenly Father. So I think just even maybe practically thinking about ourselves, like, you know, when, when those identity crisis moments come, you know, am I in Adam or am, am I in Christ? And through faith, we're in yeah, Christ. I like that. Um, and we still, we still carry the scars of Adam, and we still carry our, our broken human nature, but positionally, we're, we're, there's been a change. We're in Christ by faith. And so, um, yeah, I think this is a really good discussion and, uh, you know, one that could go on for a long time. There's a lot of nuance, and, and uh, we'll be working this out for our, you know, the rest of our lives until, uh, until Christ returns. Amen. All right. See you soon, fellowship.